Would you turn with me to the second chapter of the book of Acts? We're going to read the same set of verses that we read last week and take a slightly different emphasis in this passage. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through the end of the chapter. I invite you to stand with me as we prepare to receive this word together. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 36. Let's, let's uh, prepare to receive the word of the Lord. Therefore, Peter says, as he's preaching on Pentecost, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor for all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God add his blessing to his word. You could be seated. Well, this morning we have this unique privilege of being able to celebrate both grads and dads. And so uh, it's, uh, it is a happy Father's Day. And as we prayed a, a blessing on our, uh, on our young people, we also want to pray a blessing upon our family and our future. But you know, uh, kind of in a, in a lighthearted way, I'd like to celebrate Father's Day by, by thinking of this in, in terms of this. I need a couple of volunteers. And so uh, uh, Bill Bloom, I want you to come up and... Uh, Jim Barr, you guys are right there, so I'm going to invite the two fathers who have dressed up for this occasion, obviously, <laughs> to come forward and uh, <laughs> let me uh, make sure we got a microphone here. Jim, I'm going to, here, make sure it's on, I don't know. And uh, this one, Hello. just press the button Hello. behind there, there we go. Okay, very good. Why don't we, uh, Bill, why don't you come over here? Hello. Why don't you come over here? Now, we're, what we're going to do, you know, you can't do Father's Day without some dad jokes. And so I've got some dad jokes. And this is not just about the jokes themselves. This is all about delivery. And so we're going to let these guys deliver some jokes to us this morning. We're going to see how they do and give them an opportunity to uh, make us laugh. If you don't, you know, it's on you. It's not me this morning. It's on you. So uh, here, here. Yeah, okay, you can have those, you can have these, and we'll go through these together. So, Bill, we're going to start with you. Let's just hear your jokes and see how you do, and and let's see where it goes from there. Okay, so, Mr. Bill, would you start? Read carefully. Now, it's all about delivery. Okay. The Secret Service isn't allowed to yell, get down, anymore. Oh, anymore when the president is about to be attacked. Now they have to yell, Donald Duck. 
I didn't write it. Can you do better? We'll see. What do you call a fat psychic? A fortune teller. Fortune. Fortune you guys need some help. This, this joke thing is not easy. Okay, keep going. Two guys walk into a bar. The third one ducks. Crickets. What did the fried rice say to the shrimp? Don't walk away from me. They're awful. They're supposed to be awful. If a child refuses to sleep during nap time, they are guilty of resisting arrest. (laughs) What do you call someone who doesn't believe in Santa Claus? Eggnog stick. (laughs) This side of the this side of the house doesn't get it. This this is the smart smart side over here. Yeah, I think they're They're just confused. Yeah, exactly. They're a little more into it. Yeah, I agree. A termite walks into a bar and asks, is the bartender here? (laughs) It's delivery, man. Come on, work on that. What do you call someone who gets mad when they don't have any bread? Lactose intolerant. (laughs) Good. That's funny. Now, that's funny, guys. That is lactose intolerant. Yeah. What's brown and sticky? A stick. They just keep getting better. Why do you never see elephants hiding in trees? Obviously, because they're so good at it. That's right. That's right. Did you hear about the guy who invented lifesavers? They say he made a mint. We, we, we love mints around here. Yeah, very nicely done. Good job. See, you're getting the delivery part now. All right. All right. French fries. We've all had them, right? Did you know the first French fries weren't actually cooked in France? They were cooked in Greece. Yeah. 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 All right. We'll give you guys... Uh, look at your ones and see if you can find a good one to, to end on. Okay? No. no okay. okay. Choose one more. One more here and then we'll let you go. Did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? Great food, no atmosphere. (laughs) Very wisely done. What did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? Die, matey. (laughs) Okay. Give these guys a hand. Well done. Well done, Dad. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for letting me be a part of it. Absolutely. Thanks for dressing up. And all. <laughs> that was hurtful. Okay. Well, we love you guys. Men, we just want you to know we're praying for you and we want to bless you right now. Can I have all our men stand right now? I want to just pray a prayer blessing over you. And uh, ladies, as you look around and you see these men, would you join with me in praying for them? Lord, uh, It is a privilege to stand before this congregation and to bless our men. Lord, you have revealed yourself as a father, 
And we have sung and praised you for the fact that you are a good, good father. Lord, we, are rec we recognize in this room that some of us have had the privilege of having godly fathers. Others, maybe not so much. But we do proclaim today that we have the, a perfect, beautiful example of, of a godly father in, in the very person of who you are. That, Lord, you demonstrate perfect compassion, perfect wisdom, perfect truthfulness, perfect love. Father, we are in awe of who you are, and we are thankful, Lord, when men make the decision to follow hard after you and you transform them into your very likeness. I pray your blessing upon these men this morning as they have come before you. I pray that, Lord, you would anoint them for the task and the work that they're called to do, to lead their families to lead this church, to make a difference in their community. Help them to be bold as witnesses for you. Give them encouragement, Lord, in their work. May they be uh, courageous, Lord, in their testimony. And Father, I pray that you would give them hearts to seek after your heart, to know you better. Lord, inspire them today to follow after you and to, to, uh, to model the, that, that, uh, that character that you want them to be. Lord, I, I bless them asking that you would refresh them with the power of your Holy Spirit, even now this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Well, let's return to Acts 2 uh, for just a moment here as we think about what we've been talking about. We started this last week where we were talking about marks of the church. And last week when we looked at Pentecost Sunday, we saw that there were three marks immediately that, that we could see. And the first mark was that the church, and we, we've made this argument that, that the, the New Testament church is really the model of the kind of church that God aspires for us to be, that that that. Uh, Acts chapter 2 church is a church that we want to, uh, to model after, and to, it's an example for us. So last week, we saw that the church was a learning church. It was a church that, that aspired to know the scriptures. They followed after the apostles' teaching. It was very important for them to, to understand the apostles and, and what they had come to know in learning about Jesus. And so we understand ourselves that we must be a Bible-believing church, but we also must be a Bible-teaching church. And, and when I say we want to be a Bible-learning congregation, listen, we don't want to aspire to know all kinds of facts about history. What we intend to do is as we study the scripture, we want to know the God behind scripture who has given us his heart, who tells us who he is. And so we aspire to be a learning church. But also, secondly, we saw last week that the church was rich in fellowship. They, they met every day in the temple courts and met in each other's homes. And I challenge you to take this time this summer to maybe invite someone into your home. Or, or, or invite someone out for some coffee. One of the ways that we can truly honor one another is to say, you know what, I would like to get to know you better. I'd, I'd love to hear your story. That is one of the ways that, that we get to know God better, in fact. As the people of God get to know each other better, we see how God is working in other people's lives, in, in the lives of our brothers and sisters. We also saw that they were not only a learning church and they were a fellowshipping church. By the way, I think they had a lot of fun when they were fellowshipping. That's why I didn't mind uh, taking some time this morning and laughing a little bit. Because that, that fellowship should, should be about laughter and, and, and life. 
But we also saw that they were a communing church. The scriptures say that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. They celebrated the Lord's Supper often. They were often reminded of Christ's sacrifice, what he did for them by dying on the cross for their sins. They were a communing church. They remembered what Christ had accomplished. But this morning, I want to focus on two other marks that I see of the early New Testament church. Notice in verse 42, the Bible says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The New Testament church was a church of prayer. It was a praying church. Some of you know the story of Jim Elliott, who was a martyred missionary. He made the observation that the church that advances on its knees never has to retreat. One of the things I did this week was I read through the book of Acts, and I just took note of the times when we saw the church praying. And it was amazing to me how often that came up. There was an emphasis, an importance about prayer in the early church. In Acts 1, 14, we are told that following the ascension of Jesus, 120 of the disciples met in an upper room. And for an entire week, they prayed. And in that intense time of prayer, it was in that prayer meeting that suddenly the Holy Spirit interrupts and and falls upon them in power and in fire. And suddenly there was a new boldness to their witness. So the first church was conceived in a prayer meeting. In chapter 3, Peter and John go up to the temple to pray. And God uses them to heal a lame man. In Acts 4, the Christians have a prayer meeting expressing thanksgiving to God for releasing Peter and John from the the authorities who who had tried to thwart them. In fact, in verse 31 it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 7 records how the deacons were appointed so that the apostles could give themselves to two important tasks. And you know what they were? The apostles were supposed to be set aside so that they could preach the word and to pray. That was their mission. In Acts 8, I saw that that Simon, the sorcerer, was told to repent and pray after he revealed a selfish desire to use the power of God for his own ends. In Acts 9, Peter kneels and prays beside the body of a dead woman who was a popular member of the Joppa church. And guess what? She was restored to life. In Acts 12, Peter was in imprisoned, about to be executed. Verse 5 says, the church was earnestly praying to God for him, and an angel comes and delivers him miraculously. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in jail again in the inner dungeon. They were singing and praying, and suddenly an earthquake comes and releases them. Acts 20, Paul and the elders of Ephesus kneel and pray together. Acts 27, Paul had encouraged the passengers on board the ship he was on that was being tossed by a severe storm. He led them in prayer for their safety. In other words, you see very clearly in the book of Acts the importance of prayer. And I believe that that has been a consistent theme in the church down through the centuries. Whenever the church has a dynamic force 
wherever the church has dynamically been impacting the world around it, there has also been a fervency in prayer. My friends, I'll tell you this. There is a direct correlation between intentional prayer and effective power. James 5.16 reminds us the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I think about Billy Graham. We've lost a prophet among us. You know that Billy Graham has probably preached to more people than any other person in human history, has led more people to the Christian faith than any other person. And he was asked the secret of his evangelistic crusades. Now, I suppose they expected an answer that that he would say, well, it was due to our organizational skill, or it was due to my commitment to work hard at preaching, or maybe it was due to the money that was given so that we could promote the crusades. But no, he said, I want you to know that there are three things that make for an effective crusade. And you know what his answer was? He said, number one is prayer. Number two is prayer. And number three is prayer. A couple of months ago, I was sitting on the couch and I was going through the YouTube thing on my TV, a stream, I don't know what you do, but anyways, I ended up at, a, at Asbury, at the revival. Some of you are familiar with the 1970 revival, and there was a, a new documentary on that revival in 1970 that came on that campus, and I'd never seen it, so I clicked on it, and I started to watch it. I had read the, uh, the book, One Divine Moment, that described the revival several years ago. But what was amazing to me, and you have to, to realize what was going on in our culture at that time, at that time, campuses all around the country were in disruption. Students were rioting. There were people burning things in the streets. It was a, a quite chaotic time, especially on America's campuses. But suddenly during that period on that campus in that moment, God showed up in a chapel service and it shook that place. And for hours and days on end, there were thousands who came into that building seeking after God. And I I could go on and on about the stories related to that. It was an amazing story, a beautiful story that, by the way, wasn't contained in that building. It went beyond to other campuses, and that's what made it so significant, is that 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 same revival spirit began to spread to other campuses and churches across the nation. It was quite remarkable. But what I I was most impressed with as I, I, I watched this documentary is, again, that revival was not planned. Students, however, had been praying for months for God to visit them and break the barriers that they had erected. They were praying together in small groups. They had formed little bands of prayer. They were praying individually. And it occurred to me, you know, I think it's safe to say that every revival can be traced back to a group of people who decided to pray. And so I found myself beginning to pray for our church and pray for our day. I think of Habakkuk 3.2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. 
in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And so out of that, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start. When I grew up, Wednesday nights were prayer meeting nights. And we would spend time coming to, on Wednesday night. We'd sit in the pew, and oftentimes we'd get out of the pew, and we'd actually kneel in the pew, and we would just pray. I said, you know what, I'm going to lead that in our church. We haven't done that for a while. We need to do more of that. And, and I wasn't worried about the numbers. It was large or small. I just said, I'm going to lead that. And then the, a few weeks ago, we uh, went down to a pastor's conference in Tennessee, and the Spirit of God met, met us there, and I was convicted that I still, I still have a lot to learn about prayer, and I still have a lot to learn about leading prayer in a corporate sense. But it was a marvelous, marvelous instruction. And so I decided when I would return, I would, I would begin to be a little more intentional about even those Wednesday night sessions. And so we've been going through the Psalms, and we've been using the Psalms as, as a guide for prayer. Because one of the things I thought is, Lord, I don't know how, 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 an hour seems like a long time. But you know what has been amazing to me as, as, as we've grown deeper and, and we're pressing deeper into that is how quickly that time goes. Now, it's a small group, and I'd love for it to be larger. You're more than welcome to join us. But it's amazing to me how quickly that hour goes as we use the Psalms as a guide for prayer. And I believe God is going to honor that. I believe he already has. We have other prayer groups. We have our Thursday morning prayer group. They've been meeting for decades. And you know the, the cards that you put in every week and that list of prayer requests that we get? We get about two pages worth every week. They pray for every single one of those on Thursday mornings. On Sunday morning, we have a group that prays for this service and prays for me as I'm preaching. But this is what I want to do for you this morning. I want to challenge each and every one of you to pray daily for this church. At our elder board meeting on Thursday night, we were recounting some of the amazing things that God is doing in our church. It was almost spontaneous as we began to talk. We, we talked about what God is doing as he's laying a foundation for a significant recovery ministry. We talked about our aspirations for church planning and what we're going to see in Slavic Village and, and, and that's happening right now. We, we talked about how God is la raising up leadership in our congregation, how we see evidence of his physical healing that's occurring. With the building and the transitions involved with that, I want you to know, listen, we are never more vulnerable than we are right now to, to, to satanic attacks. The adversary does not want us to move forward. I don't know what form those attacks may occur, but, but we have to pray. Pray with me that reality of Zechariah 4.6. Not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, I know this. We pastors do an awful good job sometimes talking about prayer. But sometimes, rarely do we actually ever get to prayer. And so right here in the middle of my message, I have it right here in my notes, we're going to pray. And I'd like you to, to join me in praying for our church and for our body right now. Would you, would you just bow your heads?
Lord Jesus, the disciples were so impressed by your ministry that when they came to you and asked for you to teach them something, the one thing they said, Lord, was teach us to pray. We were encouraged to begin our prayers, our Father. Lord, that's an amazing statement. We can know you as Father. We can know that we are your children. But Lord, there's, a, there's another part of that statement, our Father. Lord, you are our Father, but, but it is in a corporate sense. We're together in this. We are called to a community. We're called to a family where we have brothers and sisters, and we are commissioned with caring for one another. So our Father... We bless your name. Right now, I just want to invite you in a kind of a a popcorn sense with maybe just a sentence to say, Lord, I thank you because, or I praise you because, and just all around the room right now, as as you feel led, would you just complete that, that statement? I praise you because, I thank you because, go ahead. Lord, I praise you because. Yes, Lord. Amen. 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 You pursue us, Father. Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you because Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. You are our healer. Father, our English language is devoid of all the words that are really necessary to praise you and give you thanks for the person that you are and all your marvelous deeds. But Lord, we we will try. 
and we will join in all creation in lifting up your name. But Father, right now, I also ask this congregation to lift up their concerns. The Lord says, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And so if you feel it's appropriate, could you just uh, uh, fill in this phrase? I I pray that, oh, Father, our Father, I pray that, and, and lift up a concern that you have on your heart right now. Yes, Jesus, we pray for our families, for our sons and daughters to know you. Yes, Lord, continue healing grace. Oh, Father, I pray that. Yes, Jesus. Oh, God, thank you. Mm. Amen. Amen. Oh, God. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for that forgiveness and redemption through the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for this church that you will unify us. You will revive us. That what you did in the past, you will do again. Revive your church through the power of your Holy Spirit Teach us, Lord, to pray. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we know that the New Testament church was a praying church. But we also, it seems to me, know something else. The scripture says, as we move on in that passage, that everyone was filled with awe. The King James Version says... Fear came upon every soul. The New Testament church had a constant awareness of the presence of God in their midst. That word awesome, I think, is often maybe overly used and maybe has lost some of its impact today, but everyone was filled with awe. When was the last time you came to church and you you felt a sense of awe? the sense of his presence, and you were just overwhelmed by it. And it almost, it almost caught you off guard. In the early church, there was a sense of deep respect for what God was doing in their midst. Solomon, of course, had said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon, in noting that, 
he, he tells us that we, we, we perhaps maybe should be very careful that we don't take God too familiar or get too familiar with him in the sense that, 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 we, are, are, that we see so demonstrated in churches today. I've, I've never met someone like the President of the United States. I've not met many famous people. I was thinking back this week, probably the most famous person I've ever met was Elizabeth Dole. Does anyone recall Elizabeth Dole? Well, uh, she was Secretary of Labor at the time. I was at, at Asbury, and her husband was, of course, uh, Bob Dole, who was a leader in the Senate and would eventually be the Republican nominee for president. But I remember there, and, and we were at a small luncheon, probably about eight of us total, and it was my turn to introduce myself and shake her hand. And I remember how sweaty my palms began to get. And then when it was time to introduce myself, how I stammered over every word. I, I was just so intimidated by that moment. And I thought, you know, if I feel that way in the presence of a mere mortal, who, by the way, was very friendly, very easy to, to talk to, can you imagine what it ought to be like when we truly have a sense of the presence of God? Face to face. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars and hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displays. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Imagine when Isaiah walked into that temple in Isaiah 6 and he describes that vision. He says, I saw the Lord. He sat on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. And the angels surrounded him, and they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah didn't run into that place and say, Oh, good to see the man upstairs. No. Remember his response. He said, Whoa, it's me. I am undone. He began to see himself. And though he was a righteous man, he was a prophet of God. You remember the scripture says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. The presence of God shook him. It caused him to be feared. There was an awesome respect for the presence of God in the early church. The New Testament church felt that kind of reverence every day. And by the way, when they lost that sense of reverence, God determined he wanted to restore it. You remember a few chapters later in Acts chapter 5, you have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. This was a married couple. They were a part of the church. 
They saw how others were being recognized for being generous and giving stuff away and helping in the ministry. So Ananias and Sapphira determined that they would sell some property and they made a contribution to the church. And that's all good and well. But they told everyone, we gave it all away. Problem was, they hadn't given it all away. They had lied about how much they had given. They said, we've given it all to the church. But they kept some back. Maybe it was for a boat or a vacation or a kitchen renovation. We don't know. But, but Peter confronts Ananias and says, and listen how serious this is. He says to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money that you received for this land? You lied not to men, but to God. Now, listen, it was not that he kept some of the money. That was his, he was entitled to do that. It was that he lied about it. He thought it was no big deal in the house of God. And you remember what happened. This is serious stuff. Verse 4 says, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And the Bible says great fear seized all those who had heard these things. There was to be a healthy fear of the presence of God in the church. Now, verse 7 says, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Three hours. She'd probably been at the mall picking out swatches. (laughs) And Peter asked her, is this the price you got for the land? And she said, yes, that's it. That's the price. Peter again said to her, how could you agree to test the Spirit of God? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died, and they carried her out and buried her. Wow. Can you imagine if everybody were struck dead for lying in the church today about how much they had donated? We'd have to hire a full-time undertaker here all the time. Verse 11 says, great fear seized the church and all who heard about these events. Verse 13 goes on to say, no one else dared join them. There was a pause. Do I really want to be a part of this group? Verse 14 says, nevertheless, more and more men and women joined, believed in the Lord, and were added to their number. See, the point is, is that nobody joined them unless they were fully committed. Because there, there was this an awareness of God in the midst. People just couldn't help but come. It's scary. I don't understand it all. I know I better tell the truth, but I want to be there. Because God's up to something. And it's awesome. Charles Spurgeon made this statement. He said, be half a Christian and you shall have enough religion to make you miserable. Some of you, that's your problem. You're into it a little bit, maybe even mostly. You've got enough religion to make you miserable. He said, be a whole Christian and your joy will be 
full. And God is calling each of us today to make a commitment and say, Lord, you get it all. You are my all in all. You are the Lord of everything. You own it all. I'm yours. I hold nothing back. And when the church gets filled with people who are filled with him, there's joy, there's laughter, there's learning, there's fellowship, and things begin to shake. And other people begin to get saved. That's what God wants to do here. I believe it with all my heart. Are you a half Christian? Or have you decided to make a whole commitment to Christ? Will you pray with me? Father, we're going to close here in just a moment. But before we do, we want to be reminded of your presence. You are awesome in power. You are a God who heals. You are a God who forgives. You are a God who loves truth and truthfulness. Right now, Lord, I, I just pray for Tommy, who is with us this morning, first time in our church, but I pray for Tom as he's fighting the battle of cancer. I give him to you right now, and I pray that, Lord, you would, you would minister to him as he, as he seeks you out that he would find in your presence there is fullness of joy. I pray, Lord, that you would teach our church to pray, that we wouldn't make the assumption that someone else will do it, but that, Lord, we would set aside time each and every day to pray for our families, our church, our pastor, and, yes, Lord, for ourselves, that our spirit would be conformed to your spirit. And that, Lord, you would teach us to, to seek you in reverence. To know that there is power in your presence. And yes, Lord, there's, there can be that moment of fear. But then we recognize that you are a God who loves us and invites us to come into your throne room. And we can come onto your lap and share our, share our concerns and our burdens. And know that, Lord, you care. Lord, we cannot fathom the depth of your love for us. Lord, we'd like to try. And in marvelous appreciation, we worship you even now. Lord, if there is someone here today who would admit to being a half-Christian and probably admit that they've been miserable doing it, that, Lord, they would put it all on the table and they would say, Lord, I hold nothing back from you because you are worthy and I give my life to you completely right now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our worship this morning, I want you to know our altar is open. If you need to, to come and just spend some time with Christ here, if you need to, uh, to uh, maybe even spend some time with someone else and talk with them specifically, please do so. But let's be in an attitude of worship and prayer as, as we close this service. I'll invite you to stand. And again, the altar is open.